0: Recipes are made to be broken. If you don't have an ingredient and don't want to buy it, that's fine. Like, just leave it out. It's not going to taste bad. There's really nothing that could taste bad. Like, if it's good ingredients, like, I don't know. Just be don't be intimidated.
1: Hi, welcome to Let It Out, the podcast that you are listening to right now. My name is Katie Dalebout. This week's episode is with my very close friend Phoebe Lapine Phoebe's one of the most creative people I know and we've become very close friends since the last time she came on the podcast which was when her second book came out The Wellness Project and if you haven't listened to that episode go back and listen to it you'll hear all about Phoebe and her background and, and upbringing and she her first book was a cookbook that is really wonderful and, and I obviously love The Wellness Project and she's recently written a screenplay she's one of the most creative people i know the movie is going to be tremendous i really can't wait for that but that is not the project that she is currently just created and put into the world she wrote the most amazing book it's called SIBO made simple SIBO the you're gonna learn all about SIBO if you don't know what it is so don't even worry about it. if you do know what it is you probably want this book. (laughs) It's a recipe book that I love so much. I, I don't cook famously, which we discuss at length in this episode. She actually gives me some really great advice about how to start cooking at home and like one tiny thing I can do that really switched my perspective. And I'll update you at the end where I am with that. But I'll just say this, Phoebe is a wonderful and chef and I've eaten her food and cooked her recipes and this book is so beautiful and I'm, I'm really happy for her that she was able to to put it out and you know she's not able to do a book tour right now and it's still such a big deal to create something that takes so much time and effort and she has done so much research for this book and I'm just really happy for her that she created it and we talk about it a bit in this episode, but this is also a Happy Thank You More Please episode. So if you're new here, Happy Thank You More Please is a series that I started several months ago, somewhere in 2020, unclear when, but it's based off of my friend Josh's movie Happy Thank You More Please that came out in 2010. And the concept is that each guest comes with three cues, something that they're happy about, something that they're grateful for, and something that they're yearning for more of. So you'll hear Phoebe's in this week's episode. We also talk about lessons from being around our parents and, and being an adult of parents. We're both only children, so we discuss that a bit. We talk about intimacy and romantic relationships. She gives me this beginner cooking advice that was tremendously helpful, like I said. She talks about what she misses about pre-pandemic and what she's been learning. She's one of the most creative people that I have ever met in my life, as I think I've already said. But we also talk about her process and procrastination and wearing different hats. And obviously we get into SIBO a little bit. And I just love this conversation. It's two friends catching up and laughing a lot. and being weird and, and talking about what was happening with us and, and telling stories and I really am happy you're here to eavesdrop on it and I learned so much from her. She she talks about this concept about creativity. When I say wearing different hats, she talks about having to wear the agent hat, the artist hat, the editor hat and having a hard time toggling between each of them. But I think she actually does it really well. So Enjoy my conversation with my friend and I will speak to you at the end. I am so happy you're here, Phoebe. We have been talking <laughs> on the phone, texting, and then prior on on Zoom before we start recording, just looking at the photos of ourselves from that are now on Zoom since we turned our video off and they are both from 2017. We, I, I just told Phoebe that I feel like I've aged about a good, mm, like seven to 10 years in the past 12 months. Oh my (laughs) God. These photos must've been around the time that we met and did the
0: podcast for the first time. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. I think that would have been right around then. Cause that's my, my headshot for my last book. So it must've yeah. been taken like a few months prior. Oh my God. I feel I've aged too. I don't you look great. I mean, I don't,
1: we were talking oh God, about carpal and tunnel and sciatica prior to this recording yeah, as well. So I so have
0: so aged. <laughs> it looks like we've aged. <laughs> yeah. my body is giving me some signs right now. (laughs)
1: Oh my gosh. You know, I, I loved your first book so much and I loved meeting you. And then for people listening, we became really close friends. I mean, I think we just, we were connected by a mutual friend and then, and then realized, I think that we had many mutual friends and, us doing the podcast was our first meeting. So people can go back and listen to that and hear about you and your background and upbringing and that we're both only children. Cause I remember we bonded over that (laughs) and about your first book, the wellness project in that episode. But what happened after that is, I don't know
0: how really, but I guess we just liked each other And then because you moved to a new city, I think that's essential. Like, I was just thinking about the fact that if you hadn't moved here and, you know, I just tried to like strike up a virtual friendship with you, I don't think it would have happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because we became friends like very quickly after that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, So, how are you? How are you feeling about the state of the world, your book coming out? Where's your head
0: today? Okay. I mean, it's in a million different places, but I have to say I've had this week was kind of like the start of the promo period, I would say. And so I've had a few of these conversations with like very close friends of mine who also have podcasts. And it's funny too, because they're there are people that I have been on podcasts with before who I was like just a regular old fangirl of originally you falling into that category. And now we're really close friends. So it's been a fun return. And I also, I just feel my own growth in these conversations because I had so much imposter syndrome and anxiety about the last book, probably because it was so personal. And so unlike anything I'd ever done before, and this one, you know, could, (laughs) could uh, sprout its own breed of imposter syndrome because it's very medical focused and I'm not an actual practitioner. So it's also something I've never done before, but I don't know, maybe it's just like the earned years in between, but I feel actually like really just like genuinely proud of this and excited to get it out into the world, which is a new feeling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Congratulations. I mean, I was saying Thank this you.
1: to you too. Like it's no small thing to write a book in any time and it's no small thing to write a book that's so robust and I I have been learning so much about Sibo and about all of the things that that connects with and about cooking. (laughs) So tell us about this book. So you wrote this book called SIBO Made Simple. It's 90 healing recipes and practical strategies to rebalance your gut for good. So this is cool. I love you. No matter what you um, (laughs) wrote, I would be like into it. And one thing that I love about you that I want to say right off the top is that Phoebe is also... Just one of the most creative people I know. Like, you wrote a, a cookbook when you were quite young. The Wellness Project is a memoir, essentially. And now you wrote this cookbook. And then you're working on it. This is an exclusive. In this pandemic, you have written a <laughs> screenplay. And it's, I know, really cool oh. that you are just this person that, you know, creates and creates and tries and. That's what Let It Out is all about. It's like, Let It Out is is about journaling and conversation and connection and community. And I believe when you have those things, they develop self-awareness and vulnerability that you can then bring into creativity. And you are someone who embodies all of that self-awareness and growth and knowing you and knowing you're someone who goes to therapy and is just always growing and then... Translating that in a really creative way just impresses me so much.
0: I mean, that's incredibly kind. I will also say for those listening that I am not the annoying person who was like, oh, it's a pandemic. I'm going to have so much free time. I'm going to, you know, like do this creative project that I've always wanted to do. No. Important distinction, I started a screenplay before the pandemic and I finished it during. <laughs> I think that starting was key because I don't know that I would have like yeah. really had the energy to birth a new project from scratch in the middle of the pandemic. Unfortunately, the pandemic hit while I was trying to finish it. And I had this, like, I was doing like an online program. So I had a deadline, which was really important and like forced me to finish it during the last few weeks of March. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And
1: before we talk about the book, I, I wanna talk about the pandemic a little bit because you were one of the people who helped me early on and your social media is... I follow you because you're my friend, obviously, but if I didn't know you, I would follow you as well. And you, you post so authentically and I learned so much about sustainability and food and your feed just brings me a lot of joy. And I learned a lot about the pandemic early on from you.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) I was
1: freaking out. As you know, I was sending Long voice text to a group chat that we are on, just being like, um, "I'm in L.A. and it's raining, and I'm uh, in this house with people I don't know, and I don't know if I should come back to New York." And I uh, uh, uh. and you were just like, we were all warming up to this, and we we're all kind of freaking out, obviously. But you were so grounded and gave me a lot of information in those weeks that I don't even know if you remember this happening. I've blacked out this entire conversation. (laughs) I've like blacked out everything. (laughs) Well, you did something so kind and generous that I will never forget. And that's, you got me this really thoughtful gift of you asked me my address and then you looked up a restaurant that you knew that I would like in my neighborhood and gave me a gift card and it was so Aww. thoughtful and you were you know supporting a a business at the time and and then i couldn't use the the gift card until months later but then i remembered and it was actually i'd moved into this new apartment and i didn't have a refrigerator or a stove and i ate all of my meals at this place
0: <laughs> on you oh my god i'm so glad no that i remember that was like oh i feel like at the beginning i don't know it was just like i really I don't know. Maybe it was a form of control. Just wanted to like pay it forward. And especially like I was buying a lot of gift certificates to restaurants in New York that I love, which of course it's like now I feel too guilty to use them. (laughs) But we'll wait. Hopefully they'll survive and in a year or two, I'll use them. Yeah. Oh. So what do you miss
1: most about non-quarantine existence?
0: Uh, I really miss dinner parties. Mm. Like it's so funny because it's like the thing I miss is like being right here in my home, but like with other people. But yeah, I really just miss like hosting and sitting at the dining room table and having game nights. Like I really love game nights. And that's something that you literally, we found one game that you can play over Zoom, but it's just not that fun. Yeah. Yeah. Zoom is just not that fun. So yeah, I miss game nights a lot. We were down at my husband's family's house in South Carolina and we had two friends who are driving to Florida and they had COVID last month. And I don't know, she's pretty research savvy and was like pretty, felt pretty strongly that like they were immune because of it. Um, So we were just like, screw it, come over for one night only. And they stayed with us and we just had, I mean, the best time. (laughs) We were up so late. Well, actually not even that late. We were up till 11, which is really late for us right now. (laughs) And we had a game night and we drank too much. And yeah, it was like the old times. Ugh. Oh, I love that. We would talk about this. Most of our, most of those dinner meetings,
1: I would become accidentally drunk <laughs> at, before the appetizers <laughs> came. We would have a drink or two and that'll do it for me. But the last time I was at your home was for one of those dinner parties and we made the best margaritas. Do you remember that? It was one of my, oh my favorite God. nights. Yes of New York. And I, I love your home. I remember I was meant to stay in your apartment in May when you were going to be in Amsterdam.
0: Yes. Well, another thing that didn't happen, you know, that I'm very sad about as well. We were supposed to live in Amsterdam for a few months this summer. And I was saying to my husband the other day, like just a few days ago, I was like, don't you wish like what would have happened if we had just like had the trip planned for like March through June? Like, and just like, we're there already. (laughs) I mean, that's like what happened to me. (laughs) Yeah. If if I had just like had
1: this travel that I would have had a little bit later, I would still be in New York probably indefinitely. I probably went to like, I think I'll move during
0: this. Yeah. I mean, I kind of wish that it happened, but at the same time, you know, we were so lucky. We had a really incredible year in some ways and a really difficult year in others, just like even beyond the pandemic. I just feel like every one of us was tested in some way. Mm -hmm. Like even my friends who I thought were like living a charmed existence, like, you know, you just never know with Instagram and whatnot. But there's always, I don't know, a lot of it's been health related, but. God, 2020 really challenged us. I'm not sure if 2021 will be any better. I hope it is.
1: What would you say that you've learned about yourself or a piece of growth that you've come to through the pandemic and quarantine and the last 12 months?
0: I mean, it was really interesting. So my husband and I basically for seven months lived in a garage apartment above my parents' house on Martha's vineyard it was beautiful it's my happy place i was so happy to be there the space we were sharing was really small and the kitchen was literally a kitchenette like it was like a guest suite it's really never had anything made in it beyond a cup of coffee if even that and i don't think the stove had ever been used it's like not a place you're supposed to cook really at all let alone three meals a day so i just felt like there was a lot of throwbacks and like Interesting regression. I won't even call it regression, like just a lot of nostalgia. Like, I felt like getting back to basics in a lot of ways. And we obviously consumed a lot of content and fiction and movies. And a lot of it for me was things I've already seen and like loved in my teenage years. And because I was out of the city, I start horseback riding again, which is something I was like very passionate about growing up and like very, like competitive and seriously into in my teens. I don't know. I felt like this whole year was like a very interesting throwback moment. And I've always thought there was something to, you know, kind of the creative recommendation of, like, try doing what you used to love when you were a kid. And so I don't know. i I don't know that I have many, lessons from it, but it was just, I don't know. I think it was kind of interesting for me to try to at least try to put myself back in my shoes of that age and watching things with a lot of Earned wisdom and you know, some things that just like didn't resonate at all. Some and I was like, I can't believe I liked that at that age. And other things I obviously like understood the nuances of so much more. And then there was, of course, I had a lot of really unfortunate health challenges this year, which I haven't even like written about yet or talked about. It's just like too raw still. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, one side of them was just like horrible dental issues, which is like not what you want to have happen during a pandemic. And it was because I had a practitioner take advantage of me. And I know it's like so common. It's unfortunately common, especially doing what I do for a living and just like being really careful about, you know, researching people and getting wrecks. Like it's just never happened to me. And I felt like such a victim. Like I felt so violated. And I remember I was watching the HBO series <laughs> The Vow, like kind of at the time that I was like uncovering the fact that, like, oh my gosh, like, no, this was actually malpractice. And like I was taken advantage of. Like there are things done in my mouth that I didn't even know about that I was charged for and oh my never god, told Phoebe. about. Yeah, I'm like so permanent sorry. permanent changes to my teeth.
1: Oh my um, god.
0: And yeah, and eventually like it all moral moral story climax is i ended up losing a tooth that there was nothing wrong with to begin with <gasps> after eight different dental appointments
1: oh my God.
0: and like so many practitioners and now i'm like you know in the process of s- formulating a lawsuit and oh yeah God. so anyway there was a lot around there just like in and my own vulnerability and watching the vow which is fascinating if anyone out there has seen it or wants to see it it's about the cult nixium And what really intrigued me about it was it was a bunch of like, not just like smart people, but like highly successful, highly motivated, really smart people who should have clearly seen that they were in a cult, (laughs) but did not. And I think there was like, I'm going to butcher the line, but there was like something that maybe a journalist said or someone else. But it's like, if you read a piece of information or like read the room and just assume good, it can be the same information later on, but like it just can become sinister just in that shift of perspective. And like, you know, it's like with this practitioner, I just like assumed she had my best interest in mind and did like, you know, like I kind of overrode my own intuition like over and over and over again, just like, Oh, God, just assuming that she did. So I don't know. I, I enjoyed watching The Vow. I think what I was hoodwinked into was not as severe as being part of a cult, but it made me feel better about my own vulnerability and like having to, I don't know, to to deal with that and to also like you know I definitely went through kind of like the victim experience of like blaming myself for not putting my foot down sooner. Like, ha- why didn't I listen to my intuition? Why didn't I like stop? Like, why did I even let this happen in the first place? Like it. I didn't have enough information. So, yeah, I don't know. I didn't even think we were going to talk about that, but that was an interesting, oh an interesting growth point. Yeah,
1: I'm so sorry that that happened. It's just, oh, I mean, any, <sighs> any sort of, yeah, that just on so many levels, that sounds stressful and complex. And just, I think any time where something happens to our bodies that could have been prevented or was unnecessary. And then when it's expensive and it's just so, (laughs) so violating, like I, I really feel for you and I really relate and it's just a terrible feeling. I, the thing that, that comes to mind that I relate on is I, as you know, I am prone to kidney stones. And in like 2014, I had a surgery and I really didn't want to have surgery on it. I wanted to pass it naturally but I had to have the surgery because it was like a golf ball sized stone. And the doctor messed up the surgery. It was botched oh. and pushed the stone further up my urethra. So I still oh. had to pass them, but oh. I had to do it like a bunch of them in tiny little pieces. And
0: I'm yeah. So and, and I was
1: like, I was, thanks. It's just funny. Cause I was like, Twenty three, and I didn't even think about like, and it was so expensive. Like, I had insurance, but like, I had to pay so much money, and I was like, "How am I paying so much money for something that was like done improperly?" You know?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I tried to. So I've spent fifteen thousand dollars this year on my teeth oh my for again God. something that never had to happen. Like, uh, anyway. But it was funny. It's like I I'm a, a loyal American Express card holder and. You know, at one point there were like, it's like too long a story, too many visits to even, you know, enumerate, but she did do a root canal that was completely botched. Like another dentist, like did a full like CT scan and saw that she had like missed a canal. And American Express wouldn't give me my money back. I kind of couldn't believe it. I'm like, if someone like went and to get a manicure and like they only painted half of the nails (laughs) and sent you photo like evidence of that. It's clearly like a job that's not done properly. So anyway, I love Amex. Otherwise, I couldn't actually believe they didn't come through to me. But you know, it was also a lot of money. So
1: (sighs) Oh my God. Yeah. Wild. Okay. This is gonna be a hard pivot. But we're gonna do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's 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 talk about this garbage. Another medical condition. (laughs) Yes. Called SIBO. It's always something with me. And you were joking around with me as I was. Chatting with you on the phone before we start recording that some bozo on your Instagram asked you a question, <laughs> What is SIVO? And we were like, you were like, oh man, can you Google it? But I'm literally gonna ask you it right
0: now. Oh no, no. I we would can love tell to tell the know folks at home <laughs> what it is
1: and how you wound up writing a cookbook and a book of medical journal about this topic.
0: See, it's okay for you to ask because I know you know the answer, and it's very basic. Form, okay. So, SIBO stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And so, when I came out with my first book in 2017, um, which we talked about on the last episode of this podcast, which um, is great, I like really thought I knew everything there was to know about gut health because that was a lot of what my research was uh, was around. Because um, I was dealing with an autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is kind of what The memoir is about. It's an autoimmune memoir, no big deal. Um, So, you know, I had like a whirlwind book tour back when we could actually like go and like see people in cities. And in the fall, I was just like starting to feel a little off. I thought I was like maybe stressed from the tour and from travel. Um, But like every time I would eat, I would kind of be gassy and I would be burping a lot in my like during my meals, which was strange. And so I just like did what I thought I needed to do to like support my gut, which is everything that. The incredible microbiome scientists that I interviewed for my book said to do, which is like to eat tons of fiber and like crushed beans and legumes and inulin rich vegetables. And I was just eating a lot of fermented foods and drinking kombucha and like taking my daily probiotic. And it was just making me more and more miserable. So eventually I ended up, you know, going back to my doctor. And, you know, I'm a big advocate for, for medical professionals. None of this has been like me, like going it alone. And anyway, he, Got me tested for SIBO. It's a strange test, which we can talk about a little bit later. And, you know, I'd heard of it, but it had never really like factored that much into my research. And I quickly like went home and fell down the internet rabbit hole as I'm one to do because, you know, he sent me home with like a one pager on what I need to do, which is, you know, a lot more than a lot of doctors will give people, but still like not quite enough to satisfy my curiosity. And it was crazy. Like, I feel like it was like the flip side to everything that I heard before. So it's really an issue of location, not type. So it's not necessarily that you have like bad bacteria overgrowing though it can be, but it's just too far up your intestinal tract. And I feel like there's so much like terms that are thrown around in the medical, I'm sorry, in the wellness world in particular, just about like gut health and like gut bacteria. And in fact, like, you know, the gut is our entire digestive tract. And in reality, like it's not that these bugs are like everywhere. They're really mostly in the large intestine and the small intestine is not supposed to have much bacteria at all because it's where you absorb your nutrients. So it's not designed at all to withstand like these critters building up. And if they're competing for your food sources, they eat the food and they produce gas. And because it's so far up, that gas gets trapped and it's not close to an exit ramp anymore. And it tries to get out any way possible. If you can get it out, maybe you're going to be burping, maybe you're going to be farting, but most people with SIBO just have this like, Inner tube of bloating that's like high up, uncomfortable, and just like pervasive. Like every time you eat, you just become like three months pregnant immediately. That wasn't me to like a large extent. I had a fairly mild case compared to a lot of people who I've spoken to and you know seen on the interwebs. Like the photos are the SIBO pregnancy photos are wild. Like (laughs) it's like, oh, this is me this morning, flat stomach, like. 10 minutes after eating this is me and it's like it's you it's wild the gas is intense Ugh, um I can't so even imagine yeah oh. it, it was just like an aspect of gut health that i didn't really understand and you know the thing is is like all our bodies are so different anything that helps can also hurt especially mm-hmm. when it comes to this stuff and you know while like all of that advice from those microbiome scientists is well and good and like what we should all strive for the reality is It's just not where a lot of us are. IBS is the most pervasive GI condition in the world. And it's said that 60% of all IBS is actually being caused by SIBO. So I found that really interesting because I was always like, oh, IBS, like what a BS diagnosis. Like it's just a description of the symptoms. Like it is not telling you anything about why they're happening. And SIBO like really made sense to me once I learned about like kind of the why behind it. But then, you know, of course, that said, similar to IBS, like SIBO is not really like a disease in and of itself. It's just a, a sign that something in the mechanics of your digestive system has gone wrong, usually a few things, in order for those bugs to overgrow because we have all these safeguards in place. I mean, we have bacteria or, you know, pathogens, foreign things coming in through our nose and mouth every time we eat, every time we breathe, every single day. And, you know, we have lots of. Liquids like stomach acid and bile, and all of these things that are designed to neutralize those things, so that they don't take hold in the wrong part of the body. And yeah, so it's like some of those mechanisms have to go wrong in order for you to get SIBO. And then once you get SIBO, you know, kind of the the game plan is oh, so very different from what you would need to do just to foster you know a better balance of good gut bacteria in your large intestine.
1: Wow. Wow. So when you were speaking about this and like I think I always want to be so cognizant of and one thing I loved about your first book is this concept that you know you know I'm going to bring up which is I thought the real watershed moment I had in your book and I think the real gem of of that book which is this concept of healthy hedonism and I'd love if you could talk about first what that is and then how that relates to this book, actually, this concept of SIBO. Because I think you were mentioning like, yes, there's a million, it literally says here, practical strategies to rebalance. It's like, okay, but we also have to live in this world. And we also, you know, food isn't just pleasure and food or that too, but it's not just fuel. It's also connection and pleasure. And we have so few sensory... Pleasures in this world to deny one is, I think, really sad, as you know. And before I get your answer to this question, I just want to commend you on something, which, you know, I think part of the research for this book was a podcast that you host. Is that correct? That's correct. Called SIBO Made Simple, same name. Okay. I was like, it's the same, right? SIBO Made Simple. And one day recently, Phoebe asked me a question. She was like, and I was so happy that you were asking this. And it was, I want to talk about eating disorders in connection to Mm -hmm. SIBO. And I instantly was like, you need to talk to Christy Harrison, who, you know, many of you know, the host of Food Psych, the author of Anti-Diet. And I was so happy to connect the two of you and that that was something that you were considering with this, because I think so often in health protocols, they just teeter on diets and they it becomes this like okay, do all of these things to make your heal your gut and to to heal the specific thing, but then it's like, and you know while you're at it, you're gonna lose a little bit of weight and you're gonna you're gonna do these other side effects are gonna happen that are gonna be really great, and then suddenly it's like orthorexia and beyond, and just the fact that you were cognizant of that, I think is so wonderful and Anyway, so I wanted to just say that, but, but yes, if you could speak on that and then also on healthy Healthy. hedonism on how that connects to SIBO.
0: I mean, with SIBO in particular, it can breed so much food fear because you're literally, your symptoms are directly tied to eating. So there are a lot of people who develop eating disorders off the back of SIBO, just like A and whittling their diet down to five foods that won't make them react or just B just like in, in their head, like their circuit changes to like, you know, food being the enemy. Um, so I'll get back to that in a second, but the healthy hedonism thing is kind of like my interpretation of balance which is you know you have to find the things that will give your body the nutrients it needs um in every single form but also balance those with the things that, that feed your spirit which i think is honestly the more important side of the venn diagram but ideally we can all find the space where those two things meet and luckily with the laundry list of like wellness to-dos being so long i do think it's possible for everyone to kind of pick and choose and find things that both bring them joy and or things that have such an incredible physical impact that can feed your spirit in its own way so like for me like my body was really at a rock bottom when i first started doing the wellness project and so I really did need some of those physical things that I didn't want to do and it it did redefine kind of my my definition of hedonism along the way because yeah you know just some things weren't worth it at the end of the day it wasn't worth it to feel so, so, so shitty just from eating something that I absolutely love. I was able to find other things to eat that I absolutely love. Okay. So yeah, in terms of SIBO, this is kind of like why I write these books. I mean, being like a non-expert expert, expert, I like think it really does serve me to some extent. Like with the SIBO book, it serves me because I got to interview like 50 incredible practitioners and like synthesize all of their advice together because there really is like no one path. Although I'm sure if I wrote a book that was like your four-week plan or your 21-day plan, it would sell much better than this one's about too. But in reality, <laughs> the benefit of not being a practitioner is you can offer a more nuanced approach. Um, but yeah, in particular with SIBO, I have a whole section about food fear and about how to reprogram your relationship with food afterwards or during. But I was so excited to talk to Christy because I mean, how many of us have a history of disordered eating? Like disordered eating can actually be a huge risk factor for SIBO just in the way that it causes and bounces in the bacteria in your large intestine and slows down the mechanism that causes food to move through the small intestine. I mean, it really like, can cause a host of problems down the line for your gut. And then I think it's, you know, it's so hard. Like, like my big question to her is like, well, where do you, which side of the coin do you tackle things from? And her opinion was that it's always going to be, have a bigger impact to tackle the disordered eating first. And, you know, on the other side of all this SIBO research, you know, there's some people with such terrible overgrowth that like, it's, you really need to like take some medication and like, get rid of that. But for a lot of people, a lot of people like who are just prone to IBS are like what I call just like gut people. I'm definitely a gut person. There's a lot that can be done. I think with modalities that tackle your mental health, like hypnosis for IBS is just as effective as the low FODMAP diet, which is the most data-backed diet for both for IBS. There's no data-backed diet for SIBO, but it's what a lot of people use for SIBO. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I, it's important for everyone to consider it because unfortunately most doctors do not consider anyone's history with disordered eating before shelling out elimination diets and restrictive diets. And if you have that type of personality, or even if you don't like, you know, diet is one thing that's completely within our control in terms Mm -hmm. of controlling our symptoms. And like, it has a real impact for SIBO people. So that's like not a great, a great thing to, to become overly reliant on. Um, cause you just get more and more controlling with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so funny. Christy just
1: texted me as we're, as we're talking about this. And as people know here, Christy and I are, are close friends. She's like one of my biggest mentors and, and she and I both our eating disorder started, with us trying to, it's a slippery slope, and it teetered in different pockets. But the, I'll say for me, the the biggest portion of mine. And Christy's talked about this several places, including my podcast, that this was the case for her as well. But we, for her, she cut out gluten, and then it spiraled, you know. And it was like I'm doing this stuff for my body, and uh, and same with me, you know. It was like I didn't have, there was something that I was trying to heal. And I think like in my case, I didn't want to say what it was because it doesn't really matter. But, you know, I was like, if I could just heal this, then I'll be great. But it was like, what I realized was kind of what you said. It was like, that wasn't even the issue. I think the issue is that I just wasn't eating enough food, you know? totally. Um, So yeah, it's, it's just, there's a real self-honesty there and there's a real awareness of diet culture and wellness culture. Oh yeah. That we have to be aware of in all of this. And I've chosen to ignore it at many times in my life, you know, I'm like, yeah, but I think I'm going to do this anyway. And I think the biggest way that my, as you know, as my friend, that my disordered eating has come and gone and come again a million times. And what's been different about it in The recent years is that even though it's been as bad as it has been in the past, like behavior wise, mentally, I can't get away with it. Like I know what Mm. I'm doing and I'm self aware. And so I think, you know, with someone who has the propensity, like, which is most of us, I think, and a lot of people here, to go down a rabbit hole, it's learning the information is great. And what I love about your, your book of these recipes are really good and nourishing. Totally. I don't think I have SIBO, although who knows, (laughs) I'm so excited and into them. And that's, that's the healthy hedonism, you know, it's like, exactly. You blend those together in the, in all of these recipes, like there's not one recipe in here. That's gross. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, it's my biggest pet peeve, you know, as a hedonist and as like someone with a background, like in chefing, no offense, I'm going to offend people, but like nutritionist recipes are generally so bad. (laughs) Like they're just really sad and like lacking. Um, So this is my gift. This is like, you know, my superpower that I'm applying to SIBO is like, you know, I make really good recipes. I've been doing that for 12 years. And I'm sure there are going to be things in this book that people look at. They're like, I should be eating that. Because, you know, of course, the laundry list of things we're told not to eat is like so long. And I get people messaging me all the time who are like, Can you eat X on a SIBO diet? Can you eat Y on a SIBO diet? I'm like, Guys, there is no SIBO diet. Like, literally, there's not. There's no data backed SIBO diet. And, you know, there are different approaches. But the reality is you can eat whatever you tolerate if something doesn't give you symptoms, there's absolutely no reason not to eat it. Diet itself does not cause SIBO and it does not cure SIBO. You need medication for that. (laughs) But, you know, a lot of people layer on the diet just to give people relief. And I do think that's important because, you know, the more that you can, you know, some people see it as like, starving the bacteria by taking away some of its favorite foods. And in reality, it doesn't like starve them enough for them to like go away completely. More likely they're just like going into hibernation. But there is something... be said for like taking away some of their favorite food sources so that they stop producing gas so that you can stop having so much inflammation in your gut so that your immune system can recede and just the healing process can kind of happen in tandem with the killing process but it's kind of you know i think it's a slippery slope and it's important for people to just like find that happy medium and really cobble it together for themselves and to, like, keep in mind that, like, it's actually, like, while you're trying to kill these bugs, it's okay to be feeding them things. It's it's I think you're doing more harm by, like, being too strict with, like, an elimination diet or, you know, low FODMAP diet than, you know, slipping up every here and there. Like, if you're slipping up, that's great. You're, like, feeding the critters and then the antibiotics can do what they need to do.
1: Yeah. It's always more about adding things in than focusing on taking things out. And I think that's that's, a
0: huge rule of thumb for me. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I love Athletic Greens. I've been taking it every morning You gotta get used to it for a second, but it is a really nice thing to add into your routine. I recommend it to my friends and my family. I sent it to my parents actually. Athletic Greens is the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage that I've ever tried. And you know, it really does the trick, I think. fills the gaps of the things that we might be missing through our food and there are so many stressors in our lives that it can be difficult to maintain nutritional habits and give our bodies every single thing we need in you know our busy schedules and you know we might not be sleeping well or exercising and of course stress and simply not eating enough food or not you know getting everything you need that's where athletic greens can help Their daily all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essential. It is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your routine, and it will really help you to just feel like you're getting all you need. I take it in the morning before coffee, and I just, I was going to say... Slurp it down But that sounds gross But I just drink it, you know I, I stir it up, it's a nice little ritual I take this tasty scoop Of athletic greens Which contains 75 vitamins Minerals and whole food Sourced ingredients Including a multivitamin Multimineral, probiotic Greens super f- food Blend and more and it all works together to fill the nutritional gaps of what we're eating and increase energy and focus. It aids in digestion and supports a healthy immune system, all without needing to reach for multiple products. I really like that. I don't have to take a bunch of pills. I just drink this drink, have my coffee, bada bing, bada boom. Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula, based on the latest research producing 53 iterations over the last decade and counting they invest in the most absorbable and natural source for each ingredient and they go above and beyond with third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit ever it's lifestyle friendly whether you you know avoid dairy or gluten or All of that. It doesn't have any of those things. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during these winter months. So they are offering you, my audience, a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today you'll basically never have to buy vitamin d again so whether you're looking for peak performance or better health covering your bases with athletic greens makes investing in your energy immunity and gut health each day simple tasty and efficient so visit athleticgreens.com katie k-a-t-i-e and join health experts athletes you know, people all over the world to make a daily commitment every day to getting some, you know, more nutrients. Again, visit athleticgreens.com slash Katie. That's A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-G-R-E-E-N-S dot com slash Katie, K-A-T-I-E to get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Today's episode is also brought to you by a supplement that I've been taking and I love called Nutrafol. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. And if you are among them, you're not alone. And there is a solution that can deliver results. So listen, I, my hair, you guys, it all broke off last year. I don't know what happened. It got really dry and unhealthy. I don't know, I still don't know what it is, but I have been taking Nutrafol. Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through all stages of life. Healthier hair growth takes time. You'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster growing hair in about three to six months. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. More than 2,500 healthcare providers recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. So if you want to try it, I really love it. I've been taking it. I've been giving it to my friends. Their best offer anywhere is 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, and use the promo code LETITOUT for 20% off any subscription for your first month for new customers. If you have any questions, let me know. And I even had their founder Sophia on the podcast because I, I genuinely love these products so much. So let me know if you have any questions. And thank you Nutrafol for sponsoring this week's episode. I'd like to do something fun right now, if you don't mind. Okay. Just, I'd like to talk about <laughs> yeah, these recipes. Nice. So. Can you please guess my, how about I give you a category? This might be fun for only us, but I don't care.
0: I'm literally getting the book out and like turning to the recipe index. It's like, I can't even remember. Okay, fine, fine, fine. There are two recipes in the fish section. One is my, this is my (laughs)
1: number one recipe from the book that is like so mouthwatering. Like I, like, I can't even tell you, I want to make it this weekend. I, if, I Let's see. Let's see how well okay. you know me. The
0: halibut with green olive and fennel tapenade.
1: Phoebe, no. But that is, no. I do have that marked. That does sound so, you know, I love that. Okay. That's fair. You know, I love olives. You know, I love fennel. That's that's fair. I see, I get that.
0: Oh, my God. But and, please oh my guess God, again. And it's not the burrito bowls. There's like only four no. options left. Um, I mean. I'm
1: surprised that you didn't get this.
0: The turmeric dill capitol. Yes! absolutely <laughs> that one, dude. It looks so, well, I'm so good. Glad someone wants to try that one. I do. It's it looks like so one of my favorite good. recipes. I but would it's not like something, that. I have a version of that on my site and it's like one of my favorite recipes and like, it's not that popular. <laughs> I would <laughs> no, like that just, made for me at your next dinner party. <laughs> you got it. I mean, it's not unpopular because it's not delicious. Just like people don't think to make it. So I'm glad we're endorsing that one.
1: great okay so that's one do you want to try to guess my number two of the book
0: okay in any category uh would you like
1: me to give you a category
0: well okay we're not counting the southwestern wedge salad because it was already mentioned yeah
1: let's oh I I
0: think I can guess it okay great (laughs) the zesty kale summer rolls no, but those sound oh. good. We are like zero for zero here.
1: People are going to think we're like faking friendship. Have these two ever eaten together?
0: Damn. Oh, um, I thought you would get this one for sure. You want me to give you a clue? Well, I know if we're not in this, I know if we're not in the seafood section, we have to be in one of the like plant-based sections. Mm-hmm. And I know it probably has a picture associated with it. <laughs> That's like, again, right. People only want to make the things that they see. Um, the marinated kale salad. Yes.
1: With roasted fennel, parsley, sunflower seeds. Yes.
0: It looks so good. I'm so glad I got it. That was, I mean, there's a 90 recipes to choose from. I think that's a pretty good success rate.
1: Dude. It looks so good. I, I made spaghetti squash the other night and I was like going to try to make like a version of your pad thai. And then I just didn't cook the spaghetti squash enough. It was bad. I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> it was like really sad and dark. I mean,
0: you can mess up spaghetti squash. Like that's just, oh. it's not you. It's I'm, It can happen. I'm learning to cook
1: and it's not going well. I just, do, I do <laughs> want to mention the Southwestern wedge salad with sweet and smoky pepita brittle. That's what it's called in yep. full. Um, yep. There's a lot of other things that's that I have. One. Have marked and and to just to you know just to throw a wrench in things. There are some things I have marked that do not have photos. Oh, such as good. the ball, the basic lemon Dijon vinaigrette. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, you should make that tomorrow. It's really easy. Can and I then you just can make a salad. that in a
1: draw in a um yes. jar in my fridge? Yes. Okay. Yes. that I yes. need to do. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get real into bone broth. I decided.
0: Oh, good for you. Delicious. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the other one I have
0: marked is the
1: detox green soup. That I think is like your mom's
0: recipe. It's my mom's recipe. It's like was like a horrifying image from my childhood, like of opening the refrigerator and seeing these like sewage. Green um like quart containers in there that were like crusty or like mugs just like left uncovered because it's like her like life elixir. Um, but then like eventually in adulthood, I tried it and was like, oh my God, it's actually delicious. It looks really <laughs> good. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. good. It's like four ingredients. It's just like broth, zucchini, chard, and cilantro, like the whole yeah, bunch. It looks and then you puree So it. good.
1: I'm really into this. I mean, number one is this catfish. Like, I honestly, I haven't stopped thinking about this catfish
0: for like days. Katie, you could make that. It's a sheet pan meal. You literally mix things together in a bowl and put it on a pan. All right. All right. All right. I can do that. Well, I'm going to
1: tell you something you're not going to like. Okay. Just buckle in.
0: (laughs) I'm buckling.
1: I don't have a lot of proper kitchenware, and I literally (laughs) don't own a sheet pan, but I'm going to get one.
0: They're twenty bucks. You should get on that immediately. Just like hop on Amazon, order that for yourself. Great. Um. Or though you like like cute things, you know, I'll send you. I'll send you one that's cute. Oh, great. Okay, good. I think my problem is that. Yeah, I
1: don't have like having a lot of things around. So I'm kind of like, I'll just get this. And I I got that pan that the R place pan that like they say, it's all you need. So I'm like, I just need the one. And it's like, well, I should probably get like a couple other things and be a grown up human being who like you need to like make a registry for yourself and like start doing
0: that. Um, Well, your birthday is not that far away. So just let us know. Oh my God. I'm going to, I feel like it just happened. I'm a year older already.
1: You're like 10 years older. Remember? I know (laughs) it's not great. Well, okay. Speaking of cooking where you, again, you have this background that is robust and makes you so good at what you do. What would you say to someone like me who's getting started with cooking or, feeling uninspired after this pandemic, you know, and you know me, I love eating out. What are some, you know, maybe starters or some staples, some recipes that someone should master? Like what what kind of coaching would you give someone like me per se?
0: <laughs> I would say you should make one one pan meal a week like make a stew or a soup just like so you have it on hand and then like layer it from there just like one recipe and like if you're cooking for one that'll last you a, a bit and you can also siphon off some portions like in your freezer so you have them for later if you get sick of it but yeah i think it's like go really slowly especially when i was writing my first book which was back in 2011 That one's called In the Small Kitchen, and it was really for people who were cooking first meals in first apartment kitchens, who were like low on time, low on skill, low on money, low on space, and you know, I saw. I feel like at the time, like Top Chef was huge. Like people would just get like. So, you know, have these spurts where like, I'm going to try something. And then they would choose something that was super complicated and get really discouraged. They'd spend too much money. They spend too much time and then never want to cook again. Just choose a really simple recipe from someone you trust. If you need ideas, just go to feedmepheme.com or the simple Simple book. Um, I try and keep things, you know, pretty streamlined and easy. But like, you know, maybe don't choose something. There are a lot of recipes that like have long ingredient lists because they have a lot of spices, which is really easy for someone who has like a robust pantry, but like very intimidating for someone who doesn't. And also, you know, it's like takes an upfront investment if you don't have those things. So I would choose something with just like, less than 10 ingredients, maybe one or two spices. You'll buy them. Hopefully then you can choose other recipes that have those spices since you already have them and just like kind of slowly build your pantry from there. In terms of specific dishes, it really depends on what you like, but you know, obviously choose something that excites you and you'd be psyched to eat like the turmeric dill catfish that involves a few condiments that you could use again. And also I would say, and this is hard when you're a beginner cook, but recipes are made to be broken. If you don't have an ingredient and don't want to buy it, that's fine. Like, just leave it out. I and mean, It's not going to taste bad. There's really nothing that can taste bad, like, if it's good ingredients. Like, oh, I don't know. Just be yeah. don't be intimidated. Yeah. Make and you could own.
1: always add, like, what you do have. Like, okay, I don't have this, but I can add, you know, whatever. I mean, I basically just reiterated what you said, but thank you. No. <laughs> That's so helpful. That's so, it's actually very, very helpful to, to I'm going to make that my rule, that I'm going to make one. Yeah, so your
0: homework is yep. this Sunday, you're going to make a pot of something, or yep. you're just going to make the turmeric till catfish yeah. and like a pot of rice and yep. like maybe like some cucumbers. I don't know.
1: I can do that. I can totally yeah, do you that. You
0: can definitely do that.
1: I want to start this series called She Tries. It's just like me trying things like skating and cooking and like trying to be a better person. Yeah. (laughs) Like uh, roller skating. Those things sound hard. (laughs) They are. They're all very hard for me. Going back to creativity. What is your greatest lesson on creativity? What helps you toggle between projects?
0: Oh. I mean, I just give myself, I I don't know, they're like two opposites because like on the one hand, I do think that creativity, like, you know, the inspiration isn't always there, but like if you can force yourself to sit down and write, this is specifically for writing, but it probably goes for painting and other mediums too. Like if you force yourself to sit down and do the work for like two hours in the day, um, then You know you're you're gonna end up with something. That's I mean that's how I wrote my screenplay. I thought like what I was writing was total shit, but then once it was all on the page, I like read it. I was like, oh, like you know what? It's not terrible. Like there's a lot of edits to that need to happen. But had I not just like forced myself to write when I absolutely didn't want to write, that would have never happened. That said, there is an article that a friend of mine recommended to me, like. I guess like five years ago now, I don't even remember what the publication was, but it was about how we have these three hats. There's the agent, the artist, and the editor. And it's really hard to wear all of those hats at once. And it's something that I feel very much in my life. Like I have a hard time toggling between those hats on a given day, but more so I think because like my I do this full time and my like lifestyle and career allows for it. Like I have a hard time like toggling between those things like on a given month. I think it was why I was talking to you about the screenplay. Like I've had these revisions I've been putting off and putting off, and I meant to do them over the holidays when I had some quiet time, but it was like because of this book launch coming up, my agent hat was so on. It was like I couldn't even go there with the creativity. That said, had I taken my first bucket of advice, had I just sat down and done it, I probably could have easily gotten done it in like two days. <laughs> but mm. it's something I struggle with and I give myself a little bit of permission around. Um, so I'm hoping that this month is like really when I have to focus on my agent hat and then afterwards I can take it off and get back to the artist.
1: I think I heard Ira Glass talk about this once on an interview with him about interviewing. and he spoke about with this American life. There's so many moving parts that he's part of and he hosts the show too. And, and he's like, I often procrastinate the creative work mm. by doing admin work Yeah, which I often find I used to relate to. And at this point I just procrastinate all of it. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what that's all about, but yeah. you know,
0: Who knows? I mean, someone said there was like the word, like the biggest source of procrastination is other work.
1: Yeah, like yeah, (laughs) I totally feel that.
0: I mean, that's what I did all of December.
1: Now, for me, it's been—I mean, granted, I was moving, so I'm like really clearly don't have a lot of things, and like starting from scratch and moving across the country in a strange way took up a lot of my energy and time, but. I have this weird new. It wasn't like I didn't clean before, but like where I lived in in New York, as you know, I, I always lived with people, and we had a cleaning person come. And I guess I've just haven't lived alone in a long time, and cleaning has become such a source of procrastination oh, yeah. that, like, I've really missed going to a coffee shop or co working space because you kind of lock yourself in. You're like, you can't clean or organize oh or distract God. yourself with any of that. So, you know, and then I live in a studio apartment. So it's like if I notice that something is out of place, Mm -hmm. I can't sit at my computer and work. Are you kidding me?
0: Yeah. No, not being able to go to a coffee shop or like somewhere else has been really hard in the pandemic for my creativity. I hear you on that. Yeah.
1: And I'm, I think I told you this, but I'm getting, I'm going to make a studio at my friend's place, which is really nice. So I'll have like an office, but that hasn't oh, happened yet. And now I'm like, just, I'm noticing my, my OCD around cleaning.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: really, I'm really anal about
0: it. <laughs> I mean, it's hard when you work from home. I totally get it. Like, mm-hmm. it's why I think I like harp on my husband more well, I mean, I'm just a different personality and more critical, but you know, it's like, because I'm home all day long, like I'm just like the tidier because I see things, I move them. It's like, when you're just like leaving in the morning, it's so much easier to just be like, You know, just like leave um, and not cease and not see your own mess. Um, So yeah, I'm like, just like the, I'm like, what do you think? There's just like a fairy living in this house. That's like putting things back into place where they belong. But yeah, it's an anal fairy. I'm the anal fairy. because I see it. It's so funny. Yeah,
1: it's really wild. Well, speaking of Charlie, you have such a solid relationship. What is your greatest lesson on on romantic relationships, especially this year having spent so much time together?
0: Oh my god. I wish I was an expert on that. I mean, the my last book, The Wellness Project is very much like where does health fit into your social life as we talked about before, but then also like, you know, the person that you're sharing your life with because you Inevitably, like, kind of inflict (laughs) your own health trial and error, whether you like to or not, on who's sharing your home. Or Um, eating disorder. (laughs) Yeah, or eating disorder. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think I really struggled for a long time. And I know a lot of women do with like being the cool girl. I can't remember if we talked about this in our last episode. I feel like we did. I think but, about that all the time. I wouldn't be surprised if we did. Yeah. And like, that was like such a, like that was the pain point. That was like the the source of conflict for me becoming healthier. I was just so fearful of, you know, what he was going to think if I squashed that image of myself. When in reality, it's like, you don't want to like, I don't know, like not catfish, but like hoodwink someone into falling in love with you. if like, that's not who you are. If someone's going to love you anyway, like it's going to be for exactly who you are. So yeah, it's just, it's a crazy fallacy that we've all convinced ourselves of just for fear of not being loved. But in reality, it's like you can't really fake it. Like you can't really, I don't know, trick someone into falling in love with you. Although I'm sure there are plenty of it, plenty of examples in pop culture and in the world of that. But
1: yeah, um, I'm thinking usually about those whole,
0: relationships don't last.
1: Unless you're Alec Baldwin, maybe. Oh yeah, my that?
0: God. Oh yes. I mean, God.
1: Um, yeah. Who hasn't? <laughs> You know, I think this has come up in the lot la- it definitely came up in my episode with Whitney from a little bit ago. And I'm sure I've said this multiple times, but I heard this quote years ago about love. That's like, what about intimacy? I guess it's like, we all want to be seen and loved for who we really are. And we're most scared of being seen and, yeah. and not loved for who we really are that we That's put on the these. Quote. Yeah. That we put on these. Uh, do you know who said that?
0: I have no idea, but they said it better than what I was trying to say.
1: <laughs> right. And they said it better than what I am trying to quote. Um, but essentially
0: it's that people will get the gist and,
1: you know, you have to like keep up the jig of whatever your mask you're wearing. And, that blows for everyone involved because a, I think people can tell, and b, then you're being loved for something that's not really you, and um yeah. and so it's just like you might as well cut out the middleman and 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 just be that as much as you can to start, and and that's not easy, and I, no, have not been able to do that well in romantic relationships, and I mean, I times- didn't do it well for, I mean, it, even. the
0: person I'm married to at the beginning
1: yeah 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 it's it takes time and and with friendships you know I think it's yeah it's kind of the only option though once you once you are able to do it it that intimacy I want it and I fear it in equal measure and yeah um yeah it's just anyway All right, you have spent a lot of time with your parents this year. What's your greatest lesson on family or being an only child?
0: Oh my God. Oh, these are like really hard hitting questions, KD. I mean, being an only child is a curse. I really do think that it makes you who you are. Obviously, having siblings and that dynamic makes you who you are as well. But I think there are like commonalities that just, exist with only children. Um, I think the independence is really incredible. I think I definitely would be a different person if I hadn't had like that sense of independence ingrained so early on, but I don't know. I mean, I, I feel a lot of, I felt a lot of stress in the pandemic around my parents because they did not take it as seriously as I did. And, you know, were kind of <laughs> unwilling to, face their own frailty, i.e. the fact that they are over 70 and like in the high risk (laughs) portion of the population. So I think I personally, like that was kind of one of my big lessons with them. And like, you know, it's a lesson. Everyone needs to learn that you can't change other people. You can't control other people. Like you cannot control how they show up, how they treat you. And you cannot base your own emotions and feelings off of how they show up and treat you. That is codependence. So I think I had to like really hammer home that lesson this year. Um, because of course it was like almost like I had like a moral justification of my trying to control them. Like, you know, it's like, I want them to not die. And yeah, it was really, really hard for me to see them put themselves in danger over and over again. And then like, you know, to like put us in danger too. It's like, I'm where, I don't want to get COVID either. Like, (laughs) so there was a lot of boundaries that had to be formed. I was really grateful that we were not sharing a physical space so that we could put those boundaries up. But yeah, I guess I, I really had to like be more comfortable with disappointing them in a way that I hadn't been before. And also in just making sure that my own happiness didn't suffer as a consequence of their choices. Mm. Yeah. Well said. <sighs> yeah, I don't know what the lesson is though, but that's you know <laughs> what I'm working on here as a 35-year-old person. <laughs> well, one thing I guess I'll I'm curious about. That
1: I've been feeling recently is as my parents get older, I don't have anyone to process that with as an only child. And I know it's only going to get this is bleak, but like it's only going to get harder from here, (laughs) you know? Yeah. In terms of them aging and eventually dying and what that means. And, you know, I just think that not that, you know, having siblings makes any of that a walk in the park. It's hard for anyone, but
0: no, it makes it easier.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. is a, It's a lot to be alone. in. I think, and I, and I think too, you know, if you have a partner or don't have a partner, it's just like, you know, it's a, and I have a lot of, as you know, I have a lot of, I was kind of raised by a I always say on an adult farm by a village of single my mom's one of six, and they all don't have partners and raised me and so I think about it all the time of like okay that's those are a lot of people to to you know watch age and processing yeah. that is heavy
0: well, I will say that's a very interesting. I didn't know that your all of your mom's siblings were single, but I was going to say that one day when you have a partner, it's going to feel easier. I mean, it's different. It's not as much their burden as it is yours, of course. But I have to say having Charlie at the dinner table with me when my parents do something ridiculous mm-hmm. or like offend me in some way that just like fires up all of my <laughs> all of my issues, like to have someone there who's witnessed it and can be like, yeah, like you're not crazy. Like that happened is great. And especially, you know, I'm going to (laughs) cry. Alzheimer's runs in my family, like very high risk, like very intensely. So like it's, it's an inevitability for my father, probably for me too. And yeah, it's something that like, I'm very cognizant of and worried about. And like, you know, to have certain conversations, you know, when people repeat themselves and things like that, to have someone else there, like witness it and let me know that I'm not crazy. Like he's fine. He's still got it, but you know, it's, it's a hard thing to slowly anticipate and watch.
1: Of course. I'm so sorry. Oh, thanks. Oh, and I, I totally feel that too. And I, at times where I have had partners as, as you know, and they've spent time with me and my family, I, have felt so much better, and it, it almost makes me. I was I was chatting about this with my best friend Carolina, who's also an only child, and she went through a divorce this year, and, and now is subsequently around her family alone. And I always felt like I was treated more as an adult, and it, when I had a partner around, and and that I think has less to do with even my family treating me so as it does of me acting as such. Hmm. And that makes me feel almost like more real or more differentiated from them. Definitely moving helps and having some distance, but yeah, it's, it's complex for sure. And I think only childness as a defining characteristic is something I don't hear spoken about that much. Um, And I always, you know, it scratches an itch for me to talk about.
0: Totally. Is that such an only child thing to say? (laughs) No. One day we're going to have the Only Only's podcast. Hashtag me, 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 me. And we're going to talk about it all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I still want to always have like a a personal pan pizza party or like an only child (laughs) party like you had. I still dream of that someday add it to the list of future dinner parties. Exactly. Okay. So now is the portion of this podcast that we've all been waiting for. This is not a normal let it out episode. This is a happy thank you more please episode. So Phoebe has come prepared. She has given me her happy, her thank you, her more please. And so we're going to cruise through these. Number one, we're starting with thankful and that we've covered your book a bit, but you chose that as something that you're, you're grateful for right now. So can you talk a little bit about uh, having a book come out right now during the pandemic and, and how you are still somehow also grateful, which is, just speaks to you.
0: Um, uh, Well, I actually was going to choose that one as my happy. Okay, great. (laughs) But I'm also grateful for it. (laughs) Well, happy, happy. What you're happy about. (laughs) Yeah. Because I was going to say, I'm really happy for it to be like, not over, but like for it to just be out in the world and like able to, you know, there's just so much pre-preparation and nerves and, you know, it's not like next week's going to have any less work. It's not going to be any less busy, but like at least it can take on a life of its own. And I don't feel like I have to like be pushing a boulder uphill all by myself, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's always exciting. You know, it's like, I have to remind myself because to be honest, I, and because it's a pandemic, I had like nothing lined up. I really don't. Like I have one event next week Whereas like last book, I had like a 16 city tour and like all of these events, like I had so many events in New York too. It's just not the reality. And I have to like, you know, surrender to that and be okay with that. But, you know, I have to remind myself that just because I don't have anything lined up, like once it's out in the world, it's going to take on a life of its own. People will hopefully contact me and I won't have to work so hard, but yeah. So I'm hopeful and happy in that phase of the process.
1: Mm. <laughs> Good. Well, congratulations. It's huge. Thank everyone you. needs to, you know, cook along. We should do like a um Julie Julia with me and my new oh my cooking God. habit with my book. Please do.
0: Please do. Okay, great.
1: Let's do a let's do a club. Everyone listening and everyone get this book and cook along with me uh starting with the catfish, please. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what
0: you are grateful for then? Give us okay. that. So it sounds really dumb, but The Great British Baking Show, I was late to the party, but I started watching it um, in like a dark point in the pandemic for me. And I think I, okay, so I'll say, so I stopped, I, did, I didn't watch it because I think I learned like how to cook from watching the food network growing up. And like, I was super into top chef when it first came out and in my early twenties, but then well, and we I should mention, cooking,
1: can we tell them the secret that like you were on a reality
0: show? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the funny thing is when I was like brainstorming this before and I was going through my talking points, like I was like saying it, like I was like, yeah. And then, you know, I started like, <laughs> I started cooking as a career and I just got like burned out on those shows. They felt like work. But then I I literally like a little while later, it was like an aha moment on the toilet when I was like, wait, no, like I started hating those shows also because I was on one of them. Right.
1: <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, well, and you're, I mean, she wrote the forward to your last book, right? Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: know. she wrote the forward to my first
1: book to your first book. You, yeah. And, you know, so you grew up with a family friend who's this prolific, you know, person in that industry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that comes into play as
0: well. Oh yeah. That's why I started, I started watching food network. Cause my dad and I were like, let's watch I show. Um, right. and then I would just like watch it for seven hours straight and watch all the other people too. But anyway, so all of that <laughs> is to say that I am very late to the party with great British baking show. Cause I don't even like to bake. I'm much more of a, of a cook than a baker. And so I just never really thought to watch it. And I was like in the bathtub, I just needed something to like zone out to what, like some background noise, like while I was, I don't even know. And I put on an episode and I was hooked, man. It is the happiest, most joyful show that's out there and we've watched <laughs> I got my husband into it who is someone who like does does not like food shows and doesn't not like food shows but just like was never that into them. He agrees. Um yeah. So it's like we'll be watching a show that's like a little bit darker and then we'll like watch a bake before we go to bed. That's what we talk about. But it was funny we started um mm-hmm. habitually just like Instead of like saying grace, like our modern grace is like we say three things that we're grateful for before we eat dinner. Before we by the way, before we eat dinner in front of the television. So um it's not that grown up, but I said multiple times, like and I like cried by saying I'm like, I'm so grateful for the great British baking show. <laughs> like it brings me joy. It's like been such a I don't know, a bit of light in the darkness for me. And like, there was like, I went through like a couple hard things, like, and this was like, some of it involved my, my teeth, but other things that like, there was like one really bad week where I was like, the only thing that made me happy this week, obviously there are other things like my husband, but like was the great British baking show.
1: <laughs> I love that. We need that. I mean, our mutual friend, Serena calls it instant happy.
0: Yeah, it's my instant happy this year, and I'm just like really fearful about what happens when I run out of seasons mm. <laughs> to well,
1: I'm almost I there. More. I, oh, I, I
0: hear will. There's, a, there's a kids' one. Have you? There's this? like so many. I'm sure there's no, yeah, lack of Great British baking. Okay, I'm just making um, sure you're okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've like found other things now too, but.
1: Well, with that, other things you, an honorable mention, you said teenage nostalgia, the great, the TV show, Queen's Mm -hmm. Gambit, TikTok, Mm -hmm. The Sopranos. I will also
0: say TikTok has been a real source of joy for me as well. I was super, like, I was just like, what are these kids doing? Like, I hate social media to begin with, I hate Instagram, but for work, I had to do something on TikTok. And once like my my algorithm found me there, it's just like, oh my God, that is where all of the creativity, like it's like where all of the out-of-work theater people are, it's where all, all the out-of-work dancers are. It is such a beacon of hope to me. Seriously, like, and even people who do not have those things as their careers, like there are some people who are just so funny and weird. And also the animals just make me smile. So yeah, if I'm in a dark place, I'll also go on TikTok, and luckily my algorithm makes that a really happy place for me. That's what I've heard, but I haven't
1: partaken in any of these TV shows, TikTok. I mean, it's such a or the bake bake show.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I don't know which one to recommend first. Um, All right. Well, if you join TikTok, you won't have time for all the others. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I've got a lot of options, which is great.
1: Well, one yes. thing that was on your honorable mention list that I want us to mention here that i I have partaken in, as you know, it, and you mentioned it earlier, hypnotherapy
0: mm, yes, yes. So you recommended a a hypnotherapist to me, hypnotist, I don't know what the terminology is, who I saw before the pandemic started in January, late January. That was very helpful. And then I just started seeing someone else who's like a real medical hypnotherapist Mm -hmm. to help me with some aspects of Hashimoto's that have been like roadblocks for me. And yeah, I'm just like super grateful for that modality. And I also think it's really interesting for SIBO people. So yeah. Yeah two snaps for hypnotherapy. Yeah, I, I've never
1: talked about it on the show, I don't think, but previous podcast guest, Andre Vermeulen, actress, she recommended this person in Los Angeles, actually, and I came here for a visit, but like kind of mainly to do my session with her in 2019 when I was very depressed, as Phoebe knows, mm-hmm. and it helped, it helped a lot. So anyway, I haven't thought about it much since and yeah, I might get back to it. Yeah. So what you want more of, I am so curious about.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) what I want more of are chic joggers or comfortable pants that look like real pants or just like, I don't know, look like acceptable, like a cute a cute outfit and not pajamas. Cause that's like pretty much what I've been living in all year. And I really don't foresee a scenario in which I can wear jeans consistently again. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think I can go back to that life. So yeah, I have a few pairs that I love, but I would like more joggers that looked, um, cute and presentable. And if anyone out there has any recommendations, let me know. I don't have any recommendations, but I I've only
1: worn, I've gotten dressed every day of the. I mean, it's not great. Don't no one <laughs> no one write home about this, but yeah, I was like getting dressed every day in the summer, and like you know, dresses are like really like hot weather clothing, and even now, like I'm wearing pants every day, but the pants I'm wearing feel like sweatpants, and i've been wearing a lot of light and i don't know if this will scratch the same itch for you but all the pants i'm wearing are are pants pants but they feel so comfortable like i'm wearing right now these levi's very high-waisted wide leg white pants and my friend christine friend of the podcast got me really into because i was doing ceramics um and she does ceramics and so many things we've been really into like work wear pants so like w- wearing like tube tops or tank tops with like Carhartt pants or Ben Davis pants. And that has felt really good. So I feel like that's a look that you could bring to the other coast.
0: Yeah, I'm into that. I don't know about the high-waisted part. Like that's that's where things are uncomfortable for me. This is like this is how bad my problem is. Is that I can't even wear leggings all day anymore because they're like too tight on my stomach, and I don't have SIBO anymore. Like I just don't like. All right, we gotta find you some. I'm gonna keep an eye out. I feel like I'm I'm like 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 chic drawstring pants. Yeah, I'm gonna find you something. I the summer was so easy. I just didn't wear
1: pants. Right, right, right. (laughs) Just move here. It's still warm. Yeah, Yeah, I have one pair of sweatpants right now. Which is, you know, kind of like the sheet pan issue. I need to handle, but I sleep in them every night, and they were a. I stole them from previous podcast guest Deanie. I went over there for di- it was my last like dinner night. This must have been like March twelfth or something, and I went over there. They made dinner, and I had like walked there in the rain, and she was like, "Oh my god, you're so wet! Like, do you want a pair of pants?" I was like, "Yeah, I do." She gives me this pair of sweatpants. I eat this beautiful dinner in this pair of sweatpants, and. They are free sweatpants. She got it like a race or something, <laughs> and I didn't really read what they said. So now I've—they're the only pants I have here because, as you know, I'd like come from Australia and Bali, and I had like only tropical clothes. So these have like really gone with me through the through the summer. Wow! So this summer, I'm living with someone. And he says to me one day out of nowhere, um, it's I'm not wearing them. It's like this is like morning or something. And I'm like in clothes and he's like, hey, um, do you have hummus pants? I was like, what? What do you mean? (laughs) I was like, I don't. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, yeah, I do. (laughs) And turns out (laughs) these pants that she got free at like it was sponsored
0: by Sabra or whatever the like hummus oh my brand, God. and so they
1: say that really big on the pants.
0: <laughs> she was probably thrilled to like give them to you and I have know. you like take I them away. Know
1: she knows that I have these pants still, but I literally That's slept hilarious. in them that night, and yeah, so I'm just
0: looking cool in my uh, hummus in your pants. Sabra pants. So I'm in the market for a new pair of pants myself. <laughs> okay, I'll let you know my faves, please. All right. Well, this was a
1: delight. I love you oh, so much. I'm so excited about your book. Thank you so much for being
0: here again. Thank you. And I can't wait this to have you back. the highlight of the book process. When your movie's out. Oh my God. Thank crossed, everybody. That'd be so exciting. Thank you for all of your support and your wisdom. And this is just, again, this is the highlight of the book process for mm-hmm. me is having these conversations.
1: I love you. This is so great. Well, let's end with the let it out deep breath. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Inhale. Let it out.
0: Ah. <sighs> love
1: it. We did it. First week of the year felt like a year, and sure. uh, we're ending it with this. <laughs> <laughs> that was my conversation with Phoebe. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said. Check out all of her books, the new one, the two older ones, and follow her on social media and let her know that you're listening all the way to the end. I'll give you an emoji at the end of this little update spiel that I'm going to give you. <laughs> and you can comment that on her Instagram, on my Instagram, on Let It Out's Instagram. Let It Out has an Instagram. It's Let It Out with three T's. And I would love for you to follow us there and. Tell us that you're listening and tell us what you want more of. And anyway, I love doing this podcast and it means a lot that you're listening. If you want to support the podcast, support the sponsors and feel free to leave me any feedback and reviews and, you know, on Instagram or however you want to tell me if you think I should keep doing it or not. (laughs) I'm really Excited right now about Creative Underdogs. It's the membership that I started at the end of last year in October and was my favorite thing of 2020. It's a creative incubator where people who listen to the podcast and are part of this community can come together and bring their creative projects to ripen and grow. I have an artist conversation every single month as a guest, much like Phoebe. Phoebe will be a guest in the future. And we have a different topic, a different theme every single month, and then we do a work session together. So there's, you know, three sessions per month, once a week. And we, in that work session, we do a couple of Pomodoros together, and we talk about what's going on with us in between the Pomodoros. And we keep Zoom on and and we get work done, you know, during the 20 minutes of, of work time. And it's just lovely and I love doing it so much so if you want to join we're taking February off but we will be restarting in March and that's the only time March and October are when when people can join so if you would like to join great and you don't have to be working on a creative project but most people are are always working on, on something you know it's whether it's organizing something in your home someone was starting a coffee shop we had a painter we had a ceramicist we have. They're all still in it and lovely and my favorite people. (laughs) Anyway, I'm so happy you're here in this episode. Or I'm not sure if we mentioned her, but Phoebe and I have this mutual friend that you probably know, Serena Wolf. Serena and I host a podcast, a mental health podcast called Spiraling. It's about anxiety and If you are someone who spirals like I do and has anxiety or or know someone who has anxiety or love someone who has anxiety, you might like that podcast as well. We just did a year in review episode and we have part two of that coming out next week. So if you don't know about spiraling, that's the little spiel. And if you have been listening or want to listen or go back and listen to it, that's another project that. Is a let it out produced podcast, so I would love for you to listen to Spiraling. And last but not least, a lot of people saw on my Instagram that I was posting about journaling and morning pages, and that journaling is a practice that I do. And and I had a lot of people be like, "Oh, do you have any tips on that?" And I was like, "Oh, actually, I do. I wrote a book about journaling in 2016, and I forget that you know it's." so long ago now that it's such a part of my work and my life that I, I forget that not everyone knows that. And and so we have these journaling kits now on on Let It Out that, you know, if you are going through a breakup and want to do some journaling around that or want to start writing or start a writing practice and maybe share your writing, we have a, a kit for that. So if you want to check out our, our journaling kits, our, they're online courses, they're workshops that guide you through. I, I just didn't really like the name online course but you know maybe I should just call them that but I thought kits like a you know like a tool kit, like a soothe kit. I thought it was cool. Please give me your feedback on that because I think it might just be confusing. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Email me if you have any questions about anything. Creative Underdogs, kits, Phoebe, whatever. I love you. I did get a sheep pan. I haven't made the catfish yet but I think I'm going to make it tomorrow which is the This podcast is coming out. So check on Instagram. If I make it, I will definitely be sharing and I hope it goes well really is all I have to say to you about that. Let me know who you want to see in the podcast. The emoji for this week is the cat and the fish, the cat and the fish, the fish and the cat, whatever order you want to do it in, but send it to me, send it to Phoebe. Let us know you're listening to the end and I will talk to you next week. Love you. Bye.